Well, today we're going to continue in our series in Acts, and uh, we have a longish passage today. I won't be able to cover all the verses. I'll explain um, in a few minutes what what parts of it I'll be able to cover. But as they say, um, as they say on those uh, episode shows on TV that perhaps some of you have watched, they start the beginning of each episode with previously on, well, previously on the Acts of the Apostles, we saw that um, Saul was uh, converted. He became a Christian in Acts chapter 9. And most of the rest of the Acts of the Apostles is centered on Paul. Um, And at the end of chapter 9, he went to He went to, was in Jerusalem. This was a tricky moment because he had been persecuting the church in Jerusalem. And now he was coming to them supposedly as a Christian. And so he needed some kind of credentials or vouch, vouching or something like that. Well, um, Barnabas vouched for him, and he was ultimately accepted into the church. They believed his testimony, which was a true sent testimony. And then he was sent off to Tarsus. Now, he was born and raised in Tarsus. We're going to see where Tarsus is in a moment. But he went back to his hometown for a time after he became a Christian. And... Uh, <clears throat> I think there was probably a time of uh, development there. We have some further clues to the years that intervened between his conversion and when he actually started on his his, uh, various missionary journeys uh, in the book of Galatians. And we can perhaps look at that at some point, but not today. Next time we see him in Acts, is in chapter uh, 11, and that was uh, what we were looking at last week. And uh, this this talked about the founding of the Syrian Antioch church. So this was really the first church that was outside of the the area of Israel. It was in Syria. We'll see that on a map uh, shortly as well. Um, The gospel was going out. Remember I talked about uh, the, the... the book of Acts being like a river, and it starts out with the little stream. Well, the river was growing, and the, 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 the disciples, the apostles in Jerusalem had heard that there were Gentile Christians up in Syria and Antioch, and so they thought it wise to send uh, some more seasoned Christians to go and help them. And so it was uh, Barnabas that was asked to go and investigate. He did that. He was pleased. He sent back a good report. And then he sent a letter to Tarsus asking Paul to come from Tarsus and join them. So Paul had been in Tarsus and came and joined them in Syrian Antioch. And they worked together uh, for about a year, building up the church in Syrian Antioch. And it it became a really good, solid group of Christians there. And at the end of chapter 11... Uh, we read there about the fact that um, they they were uh, they had real they they understood the uh, the heart of the Lord in caring for the poor because there was famine in the land at that time and they sent some relief uh, down to <clears throat> south to Jerusalem um, and <clears throat> when they came uh, back from that time Paul and Barnabas took this down to to uh, Jerusalem. When they came back from that, they brought John Mark with them. And we've already met John Mark uh, in in an earlier chapter. Um, I won't go over that, but uh, they brought John Mark back with them, promising young man, and uh, they, I guess, suggested to him, maybe you want to come and help out with this work in Syrian Antioch. And so they brought him back with them. And that uh, that was significant for this first missionary journey. So 
So we begin today at the beginning of chapter 13 with uh, the events that uh, in just a few verses we're going to describe how Paul and Barnabas uh, started on Paul's uh, missionary journey, first missionary journey. Uh, Now, the the action here takes place primarily in in five locations. What I'm going to do is show you. Here's a map of the Mediterranean, just to give us context. Uh, We can see uh, Spain and France here and Italy down here. Everybody can see my big red pointer, right? Uh, Here's Greece over here. Here's Turkey. So all this is is, uh, Asia here. This is Europe up here. Uh, There's Istanbul, where George and Donna are. And then um, coming down the east uh, of the Mediterranean Sea, we have Syria, and then Lebanon and Israel, Sinai Peninsula, and Egypt down here. So now the first missionary journey of Paul took place right around here, around this sort of northeast corner of the Mediterranean Sea. So if we zoom in on that, this you may have a map like this in your Bible that shows the, well, this shows the four missionary journeys of Paul when you include the last uh, trip that he took to Rome as a, a missionary journey. Uh, there's four, but these maps are messy. Um, it's hard to sort of make it out. They're color-coded, but let's just focus on the first missionary journey, which is now zoomed in, and it's just in that upper uh, corner here of the upper, the northeast corner of the Mediterranean Sea. Now, here is Syrian Antioch. So Syria is here, Syrian Antioch is this place, uh, it's actually right here. Uh, It's a little bit in from the coast. It it currently, uh, it's part of Turkey, modern day Turkey. Um, Although it was uh, Syria back then. Um, And that's where that church was, Jerusalem. There's Sidon and Tyre down there. Jerusalem's a little bit, actually, I can go back. Oops. Buttons too fast here. Go back one more. You can see Tyre and Sidon and uh, Jerusalem's down here. So the gospel started here, Jerusalem, and then uh, Judea, Samaria, and then um, to all the world. Uh, so here's where it starts, and here's uh, here's the the places where it, the, the action really takes place. Um, there's there's four places. Um, we're going to see uh, um, some uh, things happening in Paphos here in in Cyprus, and then over here in another Antioch. This is a different Antioch. It's in the the state of Pisidia. So it's typically called Pisidian Antioch, and then um, Iconium, Lystra, and Derby. So that's, that's five places, but there's four in this uh, Anatolian Peninsula, it's called, or, or Turkey, modern-day Turkey. Uh, here, by the way, are the provinces of Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. That's what Peter addresses at the beginning of his letter, um, saints of the dispersion in those four places. So that's what the first journey looks like. Now, what I'm going to do is just, I'm going to leave that map up so that as we go through this, you can just keep glancing, you can just keep glancing at the map and you'll see, you'll see uh, where we are. So let's read. This is chapter 13. Now, there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a member of the court of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. So I guess these were the leading men in that church, five prominent men, and it includes Barnabas and Saul. Notice that he's still called Saul here. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart from me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. We're not told how this actually happened, how the Holy Spirit actually said this, whether it was a something that happened in their heads or there was a voice that they heard or they had a dream. And then on Saturday night, and they came to church on Sunday and they talked about the dream. We're not told precisely how it happened, but, but the Lord did speak to them very directly. And um, 
and uh, presumably it was to, to all of them and um, said very clearly, set them apart. I've called them to a work. <clears throat> and then it says after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. And that was it. So presumably this was a, a public act that they did in the assembly. And we often do that here, don't, don't we? When we send people out, you, you've, many of you have been here when we've done that. Uh, we've, we've gathered uh, the elders at the front and we've brought people and we've commended them to the work of the Lord in, in a different uh, place, sometimes in this country, sometimes in other countries. Um, we're, we're, we are patternists here. That is, we believe that the scriptures give us patterns for how to do things, how to actually organize church. Some people don't believe that. They think that, um, which is fine, but they believe that the scriptures uh, don't really give directions on how churches should be organized and set up. And so they, they choose a way, sometimes good ways, sometimes bad ways. But we believe as patternists that the scriptures give a pattern for how the church should operate. And this is where we get our pattern for missions from acts and in particular commendation, which is a practice that we have, originates from this, these verses right here at the beginning of Acts chapter 13. They laid hands on them and they sent them off. And this was the Holy Spirit speaking to them and setting them aside. So Paul, being sent out by the Holy Spirit, so being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia. You can see that Seleucia on the map is <clears throat> just the closest port town there to Antioch. And they got on a ship and they sailed to Cyprus. Now, Cyprus, why did they go to Cyprus first? Uh, did the Lord tell them to go to Cyprus? Did he direct them? He seems to have given direction. Paul asked for direction later on in Acts because he wanted to head across uh, to, um, he, want, he really wanted to go up here into the whole, the whole uh, Greek peninsula here. And the Lord prevented him from, for a certain amount of time before he went up there. So there does seem to be some, some uh, guidance by the Holy Spirit uh, but it may also have been a practical thing. Barnabas was actually from Cyprus. That was his, that was where, where he, he grew up. And so maybe it made sense for them. It was the, it was fairly close land after getting in the, uh, the, the ship. And so they went to uh, Cyprus. Um, they arrived at Salamis. Uh, that's modern day Famagusta in uh, the Turkish part of Cyprus. You know that Cyprus nowadays is split into two parts. Uh, half of it is claimed by Turkey and half of it is claimed by Greece. And there's uh, bitterness between the two sides to this day, but it was all of one piece back then. Uh, so Famagusta or um, Salamis is where they landed and they did an overseas journey. Um, I looked up the distance for that. Um, it was uh, something like 80 miles or something. So. Uh, it was a significant land journey to get down to Paphos. And some very interesting things happened in Paphos. They had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, presumably preaching the gospel as they went. They came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. So, <clears throat> oh, uh, yes, I wrote it in my notes here. It's 120 miles from, from uh, Salamis to Paphos. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, Bar-Jesus was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, so he would be the man in charge, <clears throat> a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elymas the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. So there's two people here mentioned, Sergius Paulus, who's an intelligent man, he's a man of power, um, and he's a seeker. He's open, uh, open to the gospel. And then Elymas, who's just the opposite. He's, he's a, a magician, and he's a, he's a false prophet. And I, I picture Elymas the way, sometimes in the movies, you get the, the, the king, and then you have this sort of shifty, oily character who's always whispering in the king's ear. 
you've probably seen that trope in movies before. Well, that's the way I picture this. That's the way I picture Elemis. He was whispering in the proconsul's ear <clears throat> and uh, probably interrupting them while they were speaking with Sergius. <clears throat> Excuse me. While they were uh, speaking with Sergius Paulus and just trying to convince uh, Sergius not to listen to them. But Saul, who was also called Paul, and this, by the way, is, is where the name shift happens in, in, uh, in this book. And from now on, for the rest of Acts, he's called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, <laughs> this is not sort of the way we do things nowadays in our culture of not trying to offend people, regardless of their beliefs. We don't want to offend them. Well, Paul says, you son of the devil, pulls no punches, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked and straight, crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. And immediately mist and darkness fell upon him and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. And then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. So he was, <clears throat> he was partly convinced by Paul's uh, power that the Lord had given him to make Elymas blind. But he was also convinced by the words. It wasn't just that a great miracle had happened, but he was convinced by the words. It's a great ending to this story. It's the if you if you see that in a movie, you know you you see the you see this villainous snaky guy get get his own. Well, that's what happens here. But it's also a great ending because um, Sergius Paulus uh, comes to faith in the Lord Jesus, becomes a Christian, and it says he was astonished. And indeed, the gospel message is astonishing nowadays. It's been heard so many times by so many people in this country anyway, uh, and it has been mocked and, and parodied in so many ways and in media that it's quite frankly not astonishing anymore. But in fact, if you take it without all the baggage that we have in our culture, it is an astonishing message. And Sergius Paulus recognized that and recognized that in fact it was the truth. And it does remind me that here's a man of power. They leave Cyprus now. They leave Paphos. You can see on the map that they're going to head up to the mainland of Turkey. Um, they leave now, but what do they leave behind? Well, it's much like the Ethiopian eunuch. When Philip talked to him, ran up to his carriage, talked to him, he became a Christian. He baptized him right there, and he went back, and he was a man of power. And he went back, and we can just imagine that the gospel seed that was planted in that person of influence then spread out when he went back to Ethiopia. And I can imagine the same thing here. That there was now a gospel testimony of one man, but a powerful man of influence. And Luke is careful to mention this a number of times in Acts when influential people became Christians. Of course, not everybody that became a Christian was influential, but he's careful to mention that. A number of times, and I think it's probably because this is a significant fact in the spread of the gospel when influential people uh, uh, become Christians. So it says in verse 13 that Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia, and John left them there, John Mark. So John Mark was with them. They had brought him along, promising young man, and then he left them. It says, and he went, he returned to Jerusalem. Uh, but they went on from Perga and came to Antioch and Pisidia. And on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. Now, just as an aside, he leaves them there. And that's all that's said here. But it becomes a point of contention later on a later missionary journey. And we'll get to that eventually as we, as we continue in Acts in the coming weeks. But, um, but that gives us a clue that perhaps the leaving wasn't um, it wasn't a good idea or something. I mean, it gives us the idea that perhaps they would have liked John Mark to stay with them, 
but that he he bailed out perhaps not just that he got really sick and needed to go home or not that he had completed the uh, commitment that he'd made to Paul and Barnabas but that he actually felt that this journey was perhaps too much for him and he didn't want to do it we don't know this is all speculation but the fact that it was a contentious point between Paul and Barnabas at a later date suggests that perhaps it wasn't the best idea for him to leave there and go back to Jerusalem where his home was. So you can see on the map where they came into um, uh, Perga there uh, on the coast. I can just highlight that with a big red marker. There's Perga. And then they, they travel from there up to um, Pisidian Antioch. Now, uh, this is a, a map without a scale, and they say a map without a scale is just a picture. Um, uh, I hate maps without scales, but, but I've already given you uh, a scaling factor there from Salamis to Paphos in Cyprus. It's about 120 miles. So you can see Perga to Pisidian Antioch is about 120 miles too. And I find that really interesting that Paul had some kind of a, like a geographical strategy going on here. He also has a preaching strategy, and we're going to see that in a moment. But he, had, he, he headed towards Pisidian Antioch. That's where he wanted to go, presumably because it was a large center. Maybe there were a lot of uh, Jewish people there, but, but he headed there. He landed in Perga, but he, he made a beeline 120 miles north into Pisidian Antioch. And uh, <clears throat> he went into the synagogue. So this was a pattern that Paul had. It was his strategy, at least in some towns that he went to. We'll see that he didn't do that in all of the towns that he's going to visit on his first missionary journey. But in, in the first couple of towns, he, he goes into the synagogue. It's the first thing he does. He goes and sits down. Guests are welcome, just like guests are welcome here. And uh, he sat down, uh, they went through the service, and then the rabbi at the front asked, uh, presumably this was conventional, asked the visitors if they had anything they would like to share. Why, oh boy, he didn't know what they were getting into when they asked him that. He said, yes. After the reading from the law and prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people... Say it. Now, at this point, we get one of the most important sermons in the Bible. It's the longest gospel sermon in the Bible. And I don't think we have time to cover it today. It's kind of unfortunate, but doing both of these chapters, I just can't do it. It's about a third of Acts 13 and 14. I'll try to get to it at the end if we have a little bit of time. But what I would like you to do this afternoon, just take a few minutes out of your afternoon and read through this sermon. It goes from verses uh, 16 to 41. And uh, it's really interesting the way he approaches this. Remember, he's speaking to a Jewish audience, and uh, they, all, of course, are all expecting the Messiah. And he takes them through some of the history of, of the Jewish people, and then eventually, wham, he hits them with the Messiah has come. And he speaks about that and, and his resurrection, his death and resurrection. And it's, a, it's just a classic gospel sermon. Uh, and, and presumably, Luke is recording it in such detail uh, because, because it is important to understand how Paul got this message out. And presumably, Paul preached the same message or variants of it in many places that he went. But we're only, we only get the full sermon here in, in Acts chapter 13 and verses 16 to 41. So with your permission, we'll skip down to verse 42 at the end of the sermon. As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. Isn't that an interesting verse? They came and they were, half of them were asleep that morning. They'd been up uh, they'd been up late on uh, Friday night, and they were just like us. You know, we come to church, we, we uh, drag our bodies in here, and some of us are alert, and some of us are sleeping. I'm sometimes tired, and we come in, and, and uh, oh, yeah, we've got visitors. And, 
the visitor, Paul, stood up and he preached a sermon. And by the end of it, they were saying, come back next week, please come back and preach the whole thing again. We want to hear the whole thing again. They were so excited by it, just like Sergius Paulus. They were astonished at what they were hearing. It's the first time we've heard this. These were events that had just happened a few years before uh, in and around Jerusalem. And now they were hearing about it. And they were, they were hearing that the Messiah had come, but in a completely unexpected way. And they were hearing evidence of it. They were hearing the proofs that, that he was the Messiah. And they were excited and they wanted to know more. And so they asked them to come back again. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. And so there were a number of people that were starting to, to receive the gospel, receive the testimony, and, uh, and respond to it and believe it and believe who Christ was and, and what their relationship to God was and believe in, in the whole message of the need for repentance and turning to Christ and the solution, the one and only solution that God offers to that. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. So in the week between those two Sabbaths, the whole city was abuzz with that one message. Everybody was talking to their friends. Hey, Shmuel, you won't believe. You didn't come on, you didn't come on the Sabbath. You didn't come to, to synagogue. You missed the most amazing sermon. You must, he's coming back next Saturday. You must come and listen to him. And Shmuel goes and talks to Moshe, and Moshe talks to Saul, and they all talk and, and uh uh, the word spreads like the grapevine through the whole city, and practically the whole city shows up. And they have to they have to set up uh, set up outside monitors, TV monitors, so that they can bring in the TV cameras and the TV crews are there. Well, of course that's 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 not true, but but it but it was a, a very exciting time. Almost the whole city showed up, and it says in verse forty five, when the Jews saw the crowd, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. So I'm trying to imagine uh, why they were jealous. It doesn't tell us, but I think the reason is obvious. They, uh, they'd been a Jewish community there in Pisidian Antioch for probably many years, many decades, and there had been some converts to Judaism perhaps over that time, but they were a small congregation perhaps, and uh, nothing they said seemed to convince people that uh, the Yahweh was was the one true God, and and suddenly, in one week, everybody's coming to the synagogue. Everybody's going to be there. And they were, they were just jealous of that message. So they were contradicting Paul and even, even reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. Now he's speaking directly to these Jewish leaders in the synagogue. It was necessary that the word first be spoken to you. Why was it necessary, by the way? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the rest of the world. Gospel started with the Jews. Paul went to the Jews, first of all. Since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, notice that little twist there, judge yourselves unworthy, that's what you're doing. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Repeating those words that the Lord had given uh, when, he, when he, just before his ascension, to the ends of the earth, he said, to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Paul repeats that little phrase there. This is a real turning point in the narrative of Acts. We are turning to the Gentiles. Just think of that. The river now heading for the, for the, uh, the Jewish people, Judea 
and Jerusalem. And now we had seen some Gentile converts, but now it's going to be a flood as the, the river widens out and encompasses the Gentiles, which is what? The rest of the world. It's the rest of the world. We turn to the Gentiles. Big turning point right here. When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. A little bit of a thing there about predestination. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. So it wasn't just Pisidian Antioch. You can see Paul's geographical strategy here. He goes to this important center. It's a, there's a Jewish congregation there. He starts in the Jewish congregation. But as soon as this happens and they start to uh, see converts, it spreads out from there. And it's it's uh, spreading out into the surrounding regions. Great place to start, the city in Antioch, rather than maybe some tiny little village somewhere. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. So persecution, they kick them out of the town, they drive them out of the town. But Paul and Barnabas leave with joy in their hearts. And why is that? Why are they leaving with joy? Well, what are they leaving behind? This was not a failure, them being there. There's a whole kernel of Christians there. And those Christians are reaching out to other people and it's spreading to the whole area. And they can walk away from that town, that, that, that city. They can walk away happy at what the Lord is doing. The Holy Spirit is at work there. They're just the messengers, but the Holy Spirit is at work. They've, they've uh, done what they were supposed to do. They've, they've left. And all of the interference of the Jews and the leading ladies and all of those people, notwithstanding to the contrary, the gospel has been planted. The seed has been planted and the church is going to grow and God is going to build his church in Pisidian Antioch and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Chapter 14, verse 1. Now at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue. Same strategy. Now let's just look at Iconium there. Big red pointer up. There's the city in Antioch. There's Iconium. Looks to be a little less than the distance from Salamis to Paphos. So maybe it's 100 miles. He travels 100 miles. It's all over land, no cars. And he spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. Probably uh, the same message or some, some variant of it uh, that, he, that he spoke in Pisidian Antioch. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. Just make one note here that they said um, they spoke in such a way. They spoke in such a way. You see those little words there? They spoke in such a way. In other words, Paul thought about how he was speaking. He tailored what he was speaking to the audience. And this really is just another piece of evidence that The work of the gospel, the work of building the church of God, the church of Christ, is a joint effort. God is building his church. But as I've said many times, we are co-builders along with him. We're given the great privilege of working with him on doing that. Paul, it matters what Paul says. He's not just getting up to the front, you know, push play on the tape recorder and here, listen to this message. But he spoke in such a way, he connected with the audience. He was saying the words, he was choosing the words, and then God was empowering him at the same time. It's a joint effort. So they remained for a long time, and I love that. They remained for a long time in Iconium. They They were able to stay there 
uh, for quite a while. They stayed as long as they could, speaking boldly for the Lord, bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. Now, again, this is co-building because God is empowering them. So it comes from God. It's not just all us. It's God as well. God is empowering them. It's a joint effort. But the people of the city were divided, just like in Antioch. Some sided with the Jews, some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lycaonia and to the surrounding country. And there they continued to preach the gospel. Once again, we see that the gospel is uh, divisive. It was divisive in Pisidian Antioch. It's divisive here. Because it's the truth. And you either have to accept it or you have to reject it. You can't stay in between because it's the truth. It's not just some nice little platitude that you can say, well, yeah, like that. Uh, oh, I don't really have an opinion on that. You have to have an opinion. If you don't accept the gospel, you reject it. It's divisive. And those who don't accept it, they see what the consequences are and, and uh, of the people who have accepted it, and they don't want it. They don't want it there, and so they kicked Paul and Barnabas out. And uh, they moved on from there to Lystra. Now you can see on the map, our little map here, that Iconium and Lystra are quite close together. There's Iconium and there's Lystra right there. So it's fairly close. Uh, they go over to Lystra. Um, and the fact that it's close actually has some, some uh, consequences. At Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was uh, crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking and Paul looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. Now, did he go into the synagogue in Lystra? Well, we're not told. Did Did he go into the synagogue and then later this event happened or did it happen as soon as they got there? It sort of feels like he didn't go directly into the synagogue, but that he was preaching outside in the open air when he first got to Lystra. That's what it sort of sounds like. So it's a different strategy. Perhaps he just, perhaps there wasn't a synagogue there, or perhaps um, he just saw an opportunity. We don't understand, we don't know, we're not told how he knew that this man had the faith to believe, but uh, somehow he knew that. Uh, Maybe there was uh, some dialogue between them that's not recorded here, and he just sensed that the man uh, had the faith. And so he does this amazing miracle. He says, stand up, and he sprang up, and he began walking. Now, look at the reaction of the crowds when they see this. So now we're not in a, a synagogue context anymore. We're outside, and the crowds see this, and they lift up their voices, and they said in Lycaonian, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Um, Was it you, Larry, that just mentioned this fact that um, some, was it you or Jim? I can't remember. Mentioned the fact that uh, sometimes they thought that the gods would appear in in man, uh, in the form of men and women walking on the earth. Well, this was a case. Uh, uh, Barnabas, they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the, chief speaker. So uh, in, the, in this system of God, Zeus was the, the, the chief God. So they assigned that to Barnabas. And Hermes was, uh, was the herald or the messenger. And so they assigned that to Paul since he was doing the preaching. But these were like in the, in the great pantheon of gods here. These, these were like sort of top dogs. And um, and so this was quite an assignment that they were uh, uh, assigning to, to Paul and Barnabas. And uh, the priest of Zeus, so there was a, there was a religion there, and there was a, um, 
a priest? The priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance of the city, brought oxen with garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifices with the crowd. Wow. What would you have done? Paul and Barnabas have the correct reaction. When the apostles, Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? Now, I want you to note as I read these next few verses that Paul doesn't just try to stop them. He's doing the right thing to stop them. But he doesn't just do that. Here is another opportunity for the gospel. Paul is so intent on this. Everywhere he goes, it's an opportunity. We also are men of like nature with you. And we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways, yet he did not leave himself without witness. For he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Well, we could, we could talk for a while about this. This is what's uh, usually referred to as common grace. All the, all the good things on the earth are shared by all the people on the earth, whether they believe in God or not. All the good things are here, and that's God's common grace to all of mankind. But his special grace is to those who believe in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's telling them, all these good things that you have, they don't come from Zeus or, uh, or the other gods in, in your pantheon. They don't come from there. They come from the one true God. And he's allowed you to do these. He's allowed you to turn away from him. But these things come from God. Notice that he doesn't even bring Christ into this because he's trying to get them to first base. They're not even close. The Jews at least believed in Yahweh, the one true God, but they didn't even believe in that. So so it wasn't appropriate at that instant to talk about the full message of the gospel. He needed to get them to first base. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. That was a really close call. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city, and on the next day he went on with Barnabas to Derby. So it sounds like he was only in Lystra for a short amount of time. He didn't really get a purchase there. Uh, there was just this, this one episode. And then <clears throat> he had been in Antioch. He had been in Iconium. And the, his detractors in both of these places now came to Lystra. I mean, they made that journey. This was like 50 miles to get to Iconium and then another, I don't know, 10 or so or 15 miles to get to Lystra. I mean, they worked, really worked hard to get him kicked out of Lystra. And so he couldn't last there very long. And he went on uh, to Derby. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, so very successful in Derby, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. Derby is, is uh, I believe, the only place in all of Paul's journeys where uh, there's no persecution mentioned. Isn't that interesting? I mean, it's just this one little uh, thing here. Maybe it's because it's so terse and uh, such a brief summary that Luke doesn't bother talking about persecution. But, but maybe there was no persecution there. It was a, it was a lovely time they had in Derby. And uh, Derby was what? It looks like another... Um, 30 miles away from Lystra. And then they returned. Now, this is really important. They returned to Lystra and Iconium and Antioch. So they went back the way they'd come. And you can see that on the map here. See the arrows going back, sort of retracing their steps. 
strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. This was an important part of his message, was the persecutions that were inevitable in making this decision to follow the Lord. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Now, you'll notice on this map that the distance from Derby to Tarsus is not that great. So Paul, after his uh, successful time in Derby, might have reasoned, you know, Barnabas, let's, let's go overland back to our home assembly in Syrian Antioch. It's not that far. And we're most of the way there already. Uh, you know, it's maybe, I actually looked it up on the map um, with Google Maps. And it's, uh, it's not that long a journey from Derby to, uh, to Tarsus. Those have different names nowadays. He could have done that, but that's not the choice that he made. And this is Paul's heart. His heart wasn't just in proclaiming the gospel, but it was in making disciples. And that's the great commission, make disciples. Paul went back. He went back to each of these places. He strengthened the churches and he helped them pick elders. And he taught some more and encouraged them. And he was real with them. He told them there will be persecutions. But stick with it, because this is the truth. This is the important stuff in life. And he went back that way, all the way back. It says they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, uh, that's right on the coast there, they went down to Italia, and from there they sailed to Antioch. Uh, so they didn't stop. You can see that in the map, too, that they didn't go through Cyprus. They just went straight back to Seleucia and then up to Antioch, uh, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And now we finish up with uh, these two verses in chapter 14. When they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little time with the disciples. They gave their missionary report. It was the first missionary report. We had a we had a uh, a real tradition here, didn't we? For many many years, we, every every month we would have a missionary report, and that's 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 where the pattern of missionary reports came from. When Paul and Barnabas got home, they reported on their journey. Now, can you imagine? Coming on Wednesday night to Syrian Antioch to the to the uh, missionary meeting, uh, I'm sure it probably happened when they met on Sunday, and hearing from Paul and Barnabas and hearing those stories, can you imagine that? It would have been so exciting to hear about it, and I think the really important part of what Paul and Barnabas were 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 saying here was that. He, that the Lord had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. Just think about that message uh, being given to that church there. What a privileged position they were in to hear the first missionary report and to hear about what the Lord was doing and just expanding their minds. And they would, they would just be encouraged to imagine that if the, if the gospel is open to all the Gentiles, the world is full of Gentiles. Think of the, the broad fields, and they would may perhaps think back to the when the Lord said the, the, the fields are white unto harvest. And now the harvest seems huge and, and wonderful and, and spreading over the whole world. That would have been a wonderful meeting to be at to hear that missionary report. So we don't obviously have time to uh, go through that sermon. I encourage you to read it this afternoon in Acts chapter 13. It's a great uh, great sermon. It's classic. It's it's beautifully constructed, um, and I'm sure it was uh, it was uh, just stunning to be at that. Let's uh, as we as we close in prayer. Let's just uh, remember again what a, an amazing experience this was to be part of the 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 initial gospel testimony. 
to see these things happening, these miracles and and many people coming to the Lord and, and the wonderful message of the gospel, the people were just astonished by. It was a great thing. And may that encourage us in our own testimony to those around us. Our Father, we thank you for, um, for Luke, uh, for inspiring this man to record all of these things. These, uh, these were exciting events at the time, and, and uh, you chose just the right person to do this. Um, somebody who was meticulous in detail and, and uh, was able to uh, get down on, on paper the uh, just the excitement of these times. We just thank you for, again, for this uh, tremendous picture that we're given here in Acts of, of how you uh, started your church, how your, your servants like Paul and Barnabas worked alongside you, and uh, how the gospel was just uh, soaked up and um, we see lots of persecution involved with it, but we're just excited to see uh, how many came to you. And we know that this is happening today all around the world, perhaps less and less in, in our jaded country and some of the European countries, but many other places in the world. It's just like this with many people coming to know you. And we just pray for that. We pray for your church, building your church as it grows and grows to that day when you will return and, uh, and uh, take us all to be with you, how we, how we long for those days. Take us home now in safety, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Sorry for going over. <laughs>